This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I want to wake up in the morning and work hard for something that matters, not just to me, but feels like it matters to the future of our society. Now, as I've gotten older, I think something that I've realized is I don't have to be the one who does it. I don't have to be the one who launches the next big app or the next big company or achieves this huge exit um, or that big societal change that I'm looking for, that actually I can be Um, the person who supports that person. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Jeff Freeland Nelson, Executive Director at the Glenn Nelson Center and American Public Media. Jeff is responsible for the Horizon Fund and the Next Challenge for Media and Journalism. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. So we are going to get started relatively close to the beginning, but I'd like to start with your background. Tell me where you went to school and what you studied. Sure. So, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs and folks in the venture world, my path uh, to where I am today was not direct. Um, and in fact, I uh, in undergrad, I was a theater major, one of those theater majors. Um, and I'm probably the only parent in the world that's going to force my children to be theater majors um, because, you know, I, I really find it uh, is a great way to learn how to work with other people mm-hmm. and to get stuff done. Um, and so uh, I, I really uh, learned a lot from that experience uh, about collaboration and about uh, production and putting on a show and all that good stuff. Um, but after that, um, I sort of developed a career really around the arts and culture, which eventually became the arts and culture and media. Um, I ran uh, sort of cultural development for the city of St. Paul in mm-hmm. an appointed position and really got uh, caught up in this idea of, of public service and in particular public service media. So I went back to school, uh, went to Harvard and got my uh, MPA, um, really focused on this idea of public policy, public administration, um, focused on building communities um, mm-hmm. and supporting sort of big ideas in society. And uh, after graduating uh, from Harvard, I, I decided to come back here to the Twin Cities and um, realized that what I really wanted to do was work at Minnesota Public Radio. It's a, 
a place that was very much a part of my life, a very much a part of where I sort of learned about the world. And uh, and so started a career here um, off and on for about 17 years uh, with a significant about five year sabbatical. Um, in the middle and evolved here from a producer making radio um, now to uh, leading our, our the venture side of our business. Wonderful. What do you feel really drew you to the broadcast industry? Well, part of it is just uh, an acknowledgement that it really matters, mm-hmm. that uh, broadcast media uh, is something that is vitally important to the future of our society, that mm-hmm. if we can't have a shared understanding of what's happening, um, of the truth, um, it's going to be incredibly important or very difficult um, for us and important for us, um, because how, how do we tackle uh, the most pressing problems uh, that we're facing from climate change to misinformation and disinformation, from educating our kids to, I mean, you name it, everything needs a shared understanding of what's happening and a shared understanding of the truth. And I see media and all of its facets being key to that. And so it makes it easy for me to wake up in the morning and really care about this work and really care about uh, what I'm doing. That's wonderful. So I have a note here, and I believe you've mentioned it, that you have the entrepreneurship bug if you will. I so do. I do. You've been a founder before, which I'm sure lends itself nicely to your work now kind of on that venture side. Yeah, I would say it's it's if, if I have one thing to bring to this uh, work, it's that I'm a three-time founder three and both on the nonprofit side and, and on the for-profit side. So I started uh, two nonprofits early in my career, re- really in the arts and culture space, and then handed those off to others to continue to move forward. Uh, and then about uh, eight years ago, um, I was running public affairs uh, here for American Public Media and realized uh, that I had this idea that just couldn't get out of my head. And it was that, and this sounds crazy because it was, um, that I should start a toy company. So um, after a very long conversation with my wife, um, did take a step back and quit a, you know, high paying job or good paying job for a nonprofit job and, uh, put my life savings into starting a toy company that's called Yoxo, Y-O-X-O. Okay. Um, grew it from nothing to having 22 employees. We were distributed across the country, actually across the continent. Um, and put five years of my life into to growing Yaxo. And and that story is not done. We 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 put it on pause. We put it on ice, um, just because the toy industry is a is a challenging one. Um, but man, I learned a lot. I mean, I had my public policy grad school. <laughs> I learned a lot there. Um, I also learned a, a whole lot from five years as a CEO of a startup toy yeah. company. What kind of toys? So uh, Yaxo is a, it's a, a recyclable, so p- big part of it's extremely uh, eco-friendly. Nice. So essentially you could buy the kit and take it home and drop it in your recycling if you wanted to, which was a big part of what we were trying yeah. to do. And then a very creative toy. So it's, it's these links that connect to each other. They connect with toilet paper tubes and paper towel rolls and stuff around the house. So kids really uh, get to experiment with, you know, making their own toys, which I was the that. big idea. Yeah, that's so great. It was a I ton love of fun. anything hands-on. I was always yeah. more of that person. I'm less of the analytical, more of the hands-on learner. Had to write it, had to see it, had to feel it. 
Well, it's it's fun. You know, there's now consulting groups that I know use Yaxo uh, with their, with their big group interactions. They use it as sort of icebreakers and ways to get adults creating, yeah. which is is really fun. I actually have Yaxo all over my office. I know this is a podcast, so not very <laughs> useful for me to do a demo, but um, it's still very much a part of my life. And and I'm now working with my 13 year old uh, to uh, sort of do a reboot, oh. um, which is fun to think about to now yeah. engage that kid in the next stage of this company. That's so neat. So after your sabbatical afterwards, is this when you came to America Public Media and the Glenn Nelson Center? Was it post-sabbatical? So right about the time that, you know, we had made the decision to sort of wind down the toy company, sort of take it into Mm -hmm. stasis, I guess you could call it. Um, this opportunity came up, which was to come back to American Public Media Group and to lead uh, Glenn Nelson Center. And uh, Glenn Nelson, who is no relation of mine. I was going to say, um, that's was pretty wild. Tr- <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Um, it was just tremendous human being who I worked with when he was uh, the chair of our board. Um, he was very well known here in the Twin Cities and really across the country as a leader, uh, both uh, in his volunteer work in, in broadcasting, um, but uh, he was uh uh, vice chair at Medtronic and and led their venture arm. So invested in startup uh, medical device companies. And so uh, when Glenn passed away, um, there was a lot of donations that came in and they decided to deploy those by creating this new center, um, really in his name, but also inspired by him, mm-hmm. uh, dedicated to sort of taking American Public Media Group uh, forward to um, sort of innovate externally and to um, have this really sort of open process of investing yeah. in startups, bringing in startups to help us sort of move uh, media forward. That's so exciting. So the startups that you bring in, you mentioned to move media forward. So do they all have a media focus or do they have to be tied to media somehow? What is the you know, lens so that you evaluate those it's a great question. And like all, so many things, it's evolved. Um, when we launched Glenn Nelson Center, initially, it was a space. Um, so we we rented out a floor of a building about four blocks from where I'm sitting right now, built out a 10,000 square foot co-working space, built studios, had it sort of all set up uh, to do this really innovative entrepreneurial work. And initially, we even launched an incubator that was not just media focused. It was really entrepreneur focused. So really sort of the broadest end of the spectrum saying, hey, let's just look at entrepreneurship and get involved in entrepreneurship. Um, And that incubator is called uh, Lunar Startups. And we launched it with the support of Knight Foundation. And so for three years, that was a big focus. Just like, let's just get a bunch of entrepreneurs in here, help them build their businesses, really focus uh, in particular on um, BIPOC entrepreneurs, uh, female entrepreneurs, LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs um, sort of um, lead into the future of where we see our, our audiences growing. And uh, but then, you know, over time and then as we started launching uh, the Horizon Fund, we've become much more focused. And in fact, a little over a year ago, we launched uh, Lunar as an independent nonprofit, so spun it out. Um, and now it's thriving um, on its own, which again is another model that I think we can pursue. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like everything else, COVID uh, had a big effect. And so, um, you know, I will never forget on March 13th, walking around Glenn Nelson Center, the space, turning off monitors, turning off computers, just thinking mm-hmm. we'll be shut down for a couple of weeks, might as well save some energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, we ended up never going back. So our lease was up um, sort of halfway through where we are 
what we've been through together. And we decided not to renew that lease. Um, and so we let the space go. Mm-hmm. But we didn't. Uh, what that really allowed us to do is both focus and broaden our mission. So now we are very much focused on media. Um, we see that as as key, sort of the first lens that we look at is is this a media company? Um, but also has allowed us to think, you know, more broadly geographically. So now we're very interested in media startups really anywhere in the world if they have a great idea. Um, we are interested in supporting them, which we couldn't do when we had a physical space, right? Well, that's a silver lining. Right. We'll take it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Anything, anything positive. It's good. <laughs> well, that's really, so that's kind of the horizon fund. So then tell me about next challenge. It's a competition. Right. So, uh, you know, we launched the horizon fund, which is our venture fund. So we invest in, uh, early stage media startups, again, really anywhere mm-hmm. focused on the United States, but, you know, we have partners in, uh, other parts of the world that help us look at other companies. Um, but we realized that we just weren't seeing enough deal flow. And we were hearing that from uh, other VCs, and there's a limited number of them in the media space, that there's just this hunger for more deal flow. And we thought, you know, how can we stimulate media startup activity at its most um, basic level? How do we get in with those startups even before they're at a pre-seed stage Mm -hmm. and decided to launch uh, the next challenge for media and journalism, which is a national focused on the United States media startup competition that's actually just about to wrap up uh, in this coming week. We will announce all of the winners and and sort of put it out there that we were going to give a hundred grand out in grants, so non-dilutive funding um, to the best and brightest uh, early stage media startups in the country. And it's just been awesome. a, a tremendous and, and challenging experience. That's so wonderful. What would you say you look for in the media companies that you're investing in? And do you have any tips for founders in that industry to kind of stand out? Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, like a lot of uh, folks in the venture space, um, and especially when we're talking about very early stage ventures, um, we're really looking for talented founders, driven founders, Mm -hmm. um, founders that have a lot of grit, (laughs) pain tolerance, you know, everything it takes to uh, move a startup forward. Um, and so, you know, part of this is, is always a talent search. Um, we have criteria that we use, um, and, and they're essentially identical for the horizon fund and for the next challenge. Um, you know, we're looking for startups that are in the news and information space. Um, so, you know, very much the startups that I'm sure you and I both interact with that are out there trying to cover our communities, create new models for journalism, new ways of getting information out there. Um, We're really interested in startups that are um, in the civic engagement space. So connecting people with government, connecting people with each other, finding ways to um, sort of help people have the resources they need to be good citizens. Um, And then uh, distribution platforms. So, um, you know, the connective tissue that is uh, allowing media to grow and to expand um, into the digital space. So those are sort of the big pots where we look. And then we look for these talented founders and and great ideas um, that are within those lanes. Yeah. Well, speaking of great ideas, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, again, being a media person myself, on trends that you see emerging when you think back to, okay, first it was broadcasting and, and radio and, and cable. 
and now it's podcasting. What do you think is like the next frontier, if there is one? Well, there's always going to be a next frontier. And I think, you know, it's interesting. This is a debate that we have a lot internally. And then I have, uh, there's an advisory board for Glenn Nelson Center, which is industry leaders, other folks in the venture space, Mm -hmm. folks in private equity, uh, folks that are in media space. And it's a conversation that we have a lot. You know, none of us have a crystal ball. You know, we can't really predict the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fundamentals... Uh, don't change. You know, yeah. content is still the, the key to all of this. Now the debate is, do you create the same content and then just, it's just moving it to different platforms. So taking a radio show and putting it out as a podcast. Mm-hmm. Sure. You could say that there's a lot that those two platforms share in common, but you wouldn't take a radio show and put that out on TikTok, right? A very different platform. Right. You know, as we think about where media is going, um, we need to recognize that, you know, new platforms have different requirements mm-hmm. um, and it, and that our audiences are moving to those platforms very rapidly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm gifted with having two miniature case studies in my house. I have a uh, 11-year-old tomorrow and oh. a 13-year-old. And, you know, I pay very close attention to what they are paying attention to. Mm-hmm. What platforms do they use with a lot of restrictions from their parents and a lot of right. attention from their parents. And guess what? It's not broadcast radio. It's yeah. not even podcasting. You know, if you look at our 13-year-old Discord is at the center of their universe. That is where they get their information, which is a platform that really is only now emerged, uh, I think, in the last 18 months. It feels like it's kind of yeah. everywhere in the gaming community and now kind of everywhere. Okay. And so, you know... I don't know um, exactly where this is going to go, uh, but I do think that we need to pay very close attention to where younger audiences are are, um, investing their time and then not just relying on, oh, I'm going to take my radio show, I'm going to take my TV show, I'm going to take my movie and just repackage it for that platform. You actually need to think, what is that platform? um, How does that platform work? How interactive is that platform? whether it's, you know, WhatsApp or TikTok or yeah. you know, Discord or, you know, all of these uh, platforms um, and create content that is really uh, native to and, and takes advantage of those capabilities. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling old. I feel like I have to look into Discord. I'm not. Discord, I'm, I use Discord. That's pretty cool. It's pretty okay. Cool. <laughs> wow. I had to do some research on that. I fell deep into TikTok and like had to pull myself out. So I got a a common occurrence. I've Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. just the time passes like you wouldn't believe. Right. Anyways. Right. <laughs> Anyways. But I think that's the interesting thing too. And social media um and the creator economy is not going away. No. And you know, one of the things that I'm I'm really curious about is how can public media, American public media group being part of that, how can public media um be a part of the creator economy and and right now we really we really aren't and and there's so much opportunity there's so much content being created there um and a real democratization of content Mm -hmm. creation which is is great i mean even what we're doing right now you know this would have cost you know 20 years ago there would be isdn lines and studio all sorts of stuff involved in just us having this communication long distance mm-hmm. and now you know spend a few hundred bucks on um, some interfaces and, and it works and so with that democratization of content there's some real pros that come out of it and there's yeah. some real challenges 
um, when it comes to the flow of disinformation and misinformation. Um, And we, public media, need to be engaged in that. We can't pretend like it's not happening. That's an interesting thought. I worked in radio for a a small stint um, after college, and um, I've never really thought about how radio and broadcast could get in on that creator culture. That's a really interesting thought. I know there's a way. I'm sure there's a way, but that's an interesting thought. Well, and the challenge, of course, is you give up some control, right? Yeah. When you embrace a creator culture, um, that means that you, you know, you run into the sort of Joe Rogan issues, right? You give them the mic, you give them the resources, and then you kind of get out of their way. Cool. But then things happen that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Traditional broadcast media is very controlled, you know. Right. Um, and so I think that's something we're going to have to go in very into very carefully. But again, we can't just pretend like it's not happening. And and young people, um, again, speaking from my group that I'm paying a lot of attention to, they're as interested in being creators of content as they are being consumers of content. And that's mm-hmm. a very different place than I think we were um, when we were their age. Yeah. No, I don't think I'm cool enough to be a creator of any kind of content. <laughs> think people. <laughs> well, you're creating this. this I know counts. that's what Sam just said. She's like, well, you're doing this. I'm like, that's true. I guess I was thinking <laughs> of like my personal Instagram. I was like, people don't need to see, you know, the dinners I'm making. But <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Anyways. Um, wow, what a tangent. But Moving forward, <laughs> what would you say is one of the biggest obstacles you've had to overcome to get to where you are today? Wow. I mean, it's a great question. I think um, a, a big obstacle is always going to be um, resources. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that has really moved me into the venture space is my own experience as an entrepreneur and what was easy Mm-hmm. And what was hard, and frankly, one of the things that was um, not as difficult as I thought it would be for me was raising money. I mean, mm-hmm. I I was able to raise five million dollars for my toy startup. Wow. Um, and one thing that I struggle with with that is that I've seen entrepreneurs around me who don't look like me, who didn't go to Harvard, um, who have really struggled to raise money for their startups. And um, for really great startups, really great ideas, meaningful Mm -hmm. ideas that could really make a difference in the media space, and they're struggling to raise money. And so something that that I see as a barrier that I can be a part of of solving is getting resources out there to entrepreneurs with great ideas, being willing to take risks. Um, One of the things I'm most proud of with the next challenge is that of the 460 entrepreneurs that kicked off an application for the, the competition, 84% of them um, essentially were not white guys. That great. These are BIPOC entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs. That's great. Um, queer entrepreneurs. And and that's something that um, we're really proud of. And we worked hard, I mean, to do the outreach necessary to make sure that we found these really uh, powerful entrepreneurs out there. Um, and so I see that as, as a barrier that, again, I didn't directly experience as much mm-hmm. as others, but something I can be a part of um, solving, which is getting smart venture capital out there to smart entrepreneurs with uh, great ideas. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. What future aspirations do you have for yourself? Well, you know, there's a chance that my boss might listen to this. So, yeah, I, mean, so. The, I, I do think that, um, 
you know, I've got another startup in me, not right now. Okay. Um, but I, you know, it, one of the great things about, again, having that entrepreneurial gene is that you're just full of ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I know at some point in the next decade or two, <laughs> one of them is going to hit me and I'm just going to have to do it. So, um, so that's exciting just even to have that out there. Yeah. Um, in the more uh, near term, you know, we want to grow the Horizon Fund and we want to grow the next challenge. And um, the Horizon Fund is a relatively unique model for venture capital in that we raise money as a nonprofit because we're a nonprofit organization. So we take in donor dollars and then we deploy those donor dollars as equity or equity-like investments in for-profit startups. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of uh, venture capital uh, organizations that do this across the country, not very many. Um, But what it allows us to do is to be highly mission-oriented, to really think about what is this startup? Not only do we need a financial return, we expect a financial return, um, but we also expect a learning return to us and that this startup is going to go out there and do good (laughs) in the world, to not make the world a, a... a worse place, which right. media startup can do. And and so in the near term, what I'm really excited about is continuing to raise uh, more money for the Horizon Fund and to continue to deploy that to some of these just really uh, groundbreaking startups that we're seeing uh, around the world. So awesome. If you weren't an entrepreneur and executive director, what do you think you would be doing? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, um, it's really fun, you know. Our kids are uh, are, are becoming musicians oh. um, in their own right, and so we've got a what a drummer at home. Uh, so our thirteen year old is uh, a drummer. Okay. And so uh, that means we're building now a drum studio in our backyard because practice is becoming longer and longer. Wow. With a small house, and so uh, even their drumming's amazing, but needs to move off site. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is exciting. And uh, I've, our younger kid uh, is a circus performer. Wow. And uh, like trapeze and all that crazy stuff. Oh my stuff. gosh. And so I'm, I'm inspired balance. a lot by them. I mean, I am, you know, by training an a, a artist, a creator. Right. Um, and so I think I'd be doing that. I mean, if, yeah. if, but the crazy thing is there's, it's not that dissimilar entrepreneurship and, and the arts, believe it or not. I mean, yeah. Um, you're still governed by the laws of physics. You're still, there's still budgets. There's still all that stuff that you need to think about. Um, but the creativity piece of it is is really what uh, gets me going. And so if it, if it wasn't creativity going into media and entrepreneurship, it'd probably be something related to the arts. That's really neat. If you could go back and redo anything in either your entrepreneurial journey or you know your career path as it stands now, what do you think it would be? Well, you know, I, like any entrepreneur that has not, um, you know, we sold a lot of the assets around the toy company um, mm-hmm. as as we wound down sort of the underlying entity, kept some, sold some. Um, but, you know, any entrepreneur that hasn't had the exit, right, the, the exit they were looking for, it's it's very easy to go back and spend a lot of time thinking about what you would do differently. And, and some of it is, you know... Uh, decisions that were made that that meant we grew very fast you know right. we grew 500 percent one year and you know 12 months growing 500 percent and that you know was a thrill ride and essentially any 
you know, walking, breathing human being that walked in the door, I would hire because we, that's how fast we were growing. Yeah. Um, you know, we got into target stores nationally. And so suddenly we went from needing to make thousands of kits a week to hundreds of that, you know, it was that. Yeah. And, um, in hindsight, that was too fast. We weren't ready for it. Um, and so certainly when it comes to, you know, specific parts of my entrepreneurial journey with the benefit of hindsight, would I change those, those decisions? Sure. Um, but I didn't know that then. Right. All I knew is we landed Target, and that we got to grow. Right. And um, and you know, and that happened again and again. It happened yeah. with Barnes and Noble. It happened with, and we just grew and grew and grew. But it it was not sustainable. Right. So I mean, there's decisions I would make differently, but not the path. Um, yeah. You know, it, all of it is uh, has involved a, a lot, a lot of learning. So. Kind of wrapping us up, but when will you know that you've lived a successful life and had a successful career? Wow, you go deep. Yeah, we like to leave it on that note. You know, that way you can ponder <laughs> it as you go through your day. No, no. I mean, it's a great question. And and it is someone as, you know, I am a mission-driven person. I yeah. know this about myself. You know, like so many of us, I took Strengths Finder 10 years ago and mission is way up there. Like I want to wake up in the morning and work hard for something that matters, mm -hmm. not just to me, but feels like it matters to the future of our society. Now, as I've gotten older, I think something that I've realized is I don't have to be the one who does it. Right. I don't have to be the one who launches the next big app or the next big company or achieves this huge exit um, or that big societal change that I'm looking for that actually I can be um, the person who supports that person, right. you know, that, uh, or um, among many people that support that person. Um, something that I did during COVID that's been so rewarding is um, I've started volunteering as an executive coach. So um, I trained as a coach uh, when I was in graduate school under a, you know, guru of executive coaching and was certified as an executive coach, if that's a thing, and and realized I, I still had those skills. And so I've, over the last you know year and a half, taken on a lot of um, coaching clients. Some refuse to not pay me, but <laughs> I usually refuse to be paid. And that has been so rewarding because that's it's all about them. So I, I try that. to come in with good questions. I try to help them move through whatever they're moving through. A lot of them are... Um, startup CEOs. I understand mm -hmm. that journey. A lot of them are in big nonprofits. It's kind of where right. I'm specializing. And, um, and I just try to help them move, you know, what's the next big hurdle for them to, to move through that and to work through that. And what I've realized is I feel as much pride and excitement when they achieve something big as yeah. I do if I were to. Yeah. And so I think the next phase of my career is going to be a lot more about supporting other entrepreneurs and other uh, nonprofit executives in particular, and um, and a lot less about you know worrying about where I am, and if I get to the end of this road and and I've been able to help twenty, fifty people, then I think that's I think that's a good run. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Is there yeah. anything else you'd like to add, either about the Glenn Nelson Center or yourself? No, I think it's just. Or 
you know, one of the things that that's an opportunity of, you know, talking to you and others is, you know, we want to build a network of folks in the venture space. You know, this is an incredibly powerful industry. And so we want to build a network of uh, venture capitalists, angel investors, VCs, PEs that care about media and see media as an opportunity um, to make money, right? This is still about profit. This right. is still about a return on investment. And um, also recognizing this is a space that is very necessary, that innovation is necessary in the public interest. Yeah. And so the, the only thing I would say is, you know, anyone out there that hears this that is interested in the media space um, that, you know, we want to work with you and, and we want to partner with you. We want to co-invest with you um, in some of these startups that are going to change the world in, in some small or huge way. Well, that's wonderful. And we'll leave that in and hopefully some people reach out. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.